Let's open our Bibles this morning to um, Daniel 2, what Paul was reading for us earlier. Having finished up the book of Rome, um, I thought it would be timely before we go into Corinthians to actually take a, a look as Paul was writing to the Roman believers to give a sort of an overall much larger view that goes back um, to the book of Daniel. So I've entitled this Rome, Past, Present, and Future. Uh, I would like to take a Sunday and do an overview of Rome, not only as a city, but also as a world-ruling empire and also as a future world-ruling empire consisting of 10 kings, all under the authority of the Antichrist. And with that much of an introduction, let's go to, um, uh, let's look at Rome's past and go back to Daniel 2. And I'd like to pick it up in verse 31. Basically, King Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. I'm going to put on screen a picture of the image that he saw. Uh, the image had um, a head of gold, um, chest of silver, um, bronze in the middle, and then with the legs, um, uh, we'll talk about the, uh, the, the importance of two of them um, made out of iron and clay, and then the ten toes we'll discuss as we get into our study. But this is, this is what Nebuchadnezzar saw, and it puzzled him greatly, and nobody could give the interpretation, what, what is this all about? And finally, um, they've heard about Daniel's gift of interpreting dreams, so they call for Daniel, and picking it up in verse 31, Daniel is now going to give him the interpretation of what you're looking at at the screen. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, his belly and thighs of bronze, its legs, plural, of iron, its feet, partly of iron partly of clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out of without hands, struck the image in the feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away that there was no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. This is a dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And whenever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, he has given them into your hands and has made you ruler over them all, you are the head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, then a third of bronze, 
as silver is inferior to gold, as bronze is inferior to silver, so is iron uh, inferior to uh, the bronze. And then picking it up in verse 40, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters all things and like iron that crushes that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And whereas you saw the feet and the toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom will be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And all, um, no, I wanted to stop at 40 and then come, come back a little bit. So let's just stop there at 40 because this would um, be the first mention of Rome. And so ba- basically what we have, um, we're starting with Babylon, but before Babylon, it was actually two world empires. The first one was Egypt, Archaeologically, that's all the farther we can go back um, with our archaeology. And anybody who says otherwise is lying to you. <laughs> um, Carl Sagan, we're billions and billions and billions. and No, we're thousands up to, we can trace it back to Egypt and, and really no farther. Uh, so Egypt would have been the first one. And then the Assyrians. Um, uh, they fell in one night. Remember when they were coming against Jerusalem and one angel took out 185 Assyrians all in one night. End of the Assyrian Empire. Rise of the Babylonian Empire. And uh, that's where Daniel picks it up because Jeremiah had been warning them for 70 years that that was what was going to happen to them and that's exactly what happened to them. They were 70 years, and Daniel was there from the time he was 17 till he was 84, um, the complete duration. And so we have in view here Daniel being elevated to this position. Um, uh, verse 48 says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. So now you have the greatest man in the world, Nebuchadnezzar. But who's number two? Daniel. Why? Because he was able to nail it. He was able to tell the king exactly what that meant. So this would be the past when Babylon, um, to be the Persian, to um, the Grecian with Alexander the Great, and then finally the Roman Empire. So what do we have? Six so far. But there's still gonna be a future one we'll talk about a little bit later, past, present, and future. Speaking of the future of the Roman Empire, let's look at verses 41, because this is now going from um, when they ruled during the time of Christ and so on and so forth. But beginning with 41 um, through 45, whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, uh, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, 
just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, interesting verse, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now this is important. In the days of these kings, so all of a sudden we're we're leaving um, the Roman Empire and basically um, existed from 63 AD to 476 during its um, first time. Um, But then in verse 44 it says, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Um, And the kingdom shall be not left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it will stand forever. And as much as you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, that had broken pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made it known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Let me just sum it up by saying this. What we have is a rise and fall of all these world-ruling empires. Egyptian, not mentioned. Assyrians, not mentioned. Picking it up in Babylon, going to the Medo-Persian, going to Alexander the Great, and the Grecian, going into the Romans. But then it jumps. It has to be future tense because as far as I can tell, the Lord has not set up his kingdom as of yet. <laughs> Matter of fact, I think things are falling apart really quick. And as we look at 41 through 45, we just went from the past all the way to the very end, and uh, this would be future. Turn with me a couple pages to Daniel chapter 7. I'm interested in verses 7 and 8. First of all, chapter 7 is same as chapter 2, except in chapter 2, Um, what the Lord decides to use to represent these kingdoms was a metallic image. It's the same vision, but with different idioms being used. In this case, animals. So uh, let's pick it up in verse one. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and vision on his head. Then he wrote down a dream telling the main facts. Uh, Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold the four winds of the heaven were stirred by the great sea and four beasts came out from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion. Uh, That would be like um, the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. And I watched till, and had eagle's wings and I watched till the wings were plucked off and when it was lifted up from the earth and a man's heart was given to it. This is when Nebuchadnezzar went insane for seven years and um, he ate the grass, long hair, long tangles. So that's what this is referring to here. Um, 
Uh, verse 5, and suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, this would be a reference to be to Persia, it raised up on one side, had three ribs between its teeth, and thus it devoured much. And after look, there was a leopard, this would be uh, symbolic of Alexander the Great, moving very quickly, which had on his back four wings of a bird, which represents the four generals of Alexander. When Alexander died at the age of 32, he said, who gets the kingdom? Who, who inherits it? He said, give it to the strong. And his four generals, I'll mention two, Ptolemy, would oversee, because remember, we're talking a worldwide empire here. Ptolemy would take over Egypt. Seleucus would be where we're talking about today in Syria. And uh, then the other two generals um, split up between um, Europe and all the way over towards China. So this reference here to the four... um, had four wings like a bird as a reference to these four generals. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to them. That means they took over what Alexander had. Now seven is what we're interested in. It said after this, because after Alexander, we have the Roman Empire coming in existence. After this I saw in the night vision and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampled the residue with its feet. And it was different from the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. All right, now we're going to have a gap between verses eight, uh, 7 and 8. And Daniel saying, I was considering the horns, and then there was another horn, a little horn, coming up from before them, whom of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth, speaking pompous words. Uh, Let's see if I can summarize this quickly. Um, Rome did fall, Babylon existed between 612 and 539 B.C. Medo-Persia, 539 to 331 B.C., if you're taking notes. Uh, Greece, 331 B.C. until 63 B.C. And then when it comes to Rome, Rome came into power in 63 B.C. and continued on to 476 B.C., So roughly around 500 years, they ruled. Now that is all um, past tense. And basically what it's saying here with these 10 horns, which is yet future, we're gonna, I like to call it the revive Roman Empire. There hasn't been a world empire since Rome fell. But the Bible predicts here that, uh, and what I think is, happening right before our eyes right now with the globalist and the reset 21 is that when the pie gets sliced evidently it's going to be sliced into 10 different sections and it's going to have one ruler over it and so we have 10 but then we have this little horn that comes out so now we have 11 but this little horn is described for us as 
personality characteristics by calling him a mouth-speaking pompous words. And that couldn't describe the Antichrist any better. So what are you saying, Dwight? Well, in the future, there we, we know and we'll talk about it this morning, we're watching two things unfold before our eyes right now. Um, the globalists want a world government. And once the rapture of the church is gone and we're out of here, I believe immediately there will be formed a one world religion that will exist for three and a half years. And we'll talk about that in quite a bit of detail this morning. So as we look at Daniel 7, it actually tells us about Rome, their power, their might, but then it goes into the future and um, it even tells us, let me look down here, that um, um, it goes on into this next area here where the Ancient of Days comes and um, it's talking about the second coming, Ancient of Days, the Lord Jesus Christ, all happening during that time where the God of heaven sets up his kingdom. When? When these 10 rulers rule. Now, my friends, <laughs> this has to happen. And I like the way this guy ended up his talk because you go, there's some pretty heavy stuff coming down here. He says, don't worry about it. God has not appointed you to wrath. You're not gonna go through any of this. Having said that, I truly believe that we are going to become the most despised and hated people on this planet. And it's happening right now. You see, you're the bad guy. You're the one who's saying no to the, to the jab. And as a result, they're saying, <laughs> you're putting everybody else's life in danger, therefore, we're after you. And um, this is a time, my friends, to take a stand no matter what. My heart goes out to a lot of people. I know I'm getting a little off track here, but I, I mean it sincerely. People are forced right now to make a choice. Um, if you're wondering why there's airline delays off the charts, is because in order to work for the United today, you have to take the jab. And there are people out there that know what you and I know. And they have to make a decision and a lot of the decisions that they've make, made is, well, my life or my job. Let's see, which one should I pick here? And that's why all the airport delays. I mean, five, just two weeks ago, five um, captains from JetBlue, they all died in the same week. And there's a whole lot that coming, covering up most of this. And you're not going to hear any of this on the news, um, just the opposite. So... With that being said, um, Rome was also known um, from about 50 A.D. to 312 A.D. What, what happens? Well, we just finished the book of Romans. Paul's writing to the Romans, encouraging them, ministering to them. But they said Jesus was God. And um, the Caesars were saying, no. I'm God. And so either you bow the knee to Caesar or you die. And as a result, millions of Christians were put to death, 
from about 50 AD till Constantine became emperor in 312. And I'm going to show you, I've been to Rome. Um, on screen, I'm going to uh, put a picture of the catacombs on because what the church had to do to survive was go underground. There's four of them all around Rome. I have three pictures, so what you're looking at is where they would have slept. There's one slide, I'll show you another one. Another chambers. There's one more that I have. And this was quite an experience for us to be able to, to visit. Like I said, there's four different large areas around Rome that contain the catacombs. Why were they there? Well, uh, to stay alive. And um, because of the great persecution that was there. Now, of course, the most famous building probably in Rome is the Colosseum. Here's what's left of it. And, um, of course, for entertainment, you've all heard stories or maybe some of the old movies where they threw the Christians to the lions or um, uh, would just execute them for sheer sport uh, because they were so despised. And this went on year after year after year after year in Rome, this persecution. And then something happened in 312. Whether it was a political move, we're not sure. Whether it was a real deal, I don't know. But Constantine, when he came to power, said he had a vision. And he said, conquer, and it was a picture of the cross, conquer in under this theme, and Rome went from persecuting the Christians to baptizing the Roman military by the dozens and hundreds of thousands, and there was this complete transformation where now the emperor himself is a believer, and there's questions whether or not he was sincere about it or whether it was a political play. Nonetheless, the persecution came to the end, entering into the Dark Ages, historically during this period of time. And of, of course, uh, there was the Crusades and, and the atrocities that went on uh, in the name of the Lord during this, during this period of time. Um, that brings us to much like what's happening today with Americans. And um, um, what happened to Rome eventually? Well, they were never defeated. They fell from within. How did they fall from within? Well, they were a republic at one time. And they went from being a republic to, um, you know, basically um, having a welfare program that was off the chart. Uh, their morality was nowhere. Um, spiritually, they were nowhere. And eventually, um, Rome fell from within. I think the same thing could happen to our country as we're here this morning. Okay, the city of Rome continued to exist and became the center of Roman Catholicism. And now I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, of course, there's over one billion Roman Catholics worldwide. 
The headquarters is in Rome, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And I want to read uh, verses 12 and 13 concerning the church of Pergamos. Of course, these are the seven letters to the seven churches. John's on the island of Patmos. He's the only disciple still alive. And he's told to write seven letters to seven churches. I just want to read uh, verses 12 and 13 from the church of Pergamos. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, notice this, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Interesting verse. I'm quoting right now from Frank M. Boyd. Um, He wrote a book on studies in the book of Revelation. And I want you to understand the progression of what happened. And I'm quoting him this morning. The significance of the expression Satan's throne is discovered in the history of the Babylonian mystics. Suffice to say here that Babylon, from the days of Nimrod, was the earthly focal point of Satan's system of religion. The Chaldeans is just simply another name for a Babylonian priest fleeing from the conquering Persians, okay, who who conquered uh, Babylon? The Persians. So now they're on the run, the priests are. But they took refuge and settled in Pergamos. Now I've been to Pergamos, and I gotta tell you, it's way up high, and it is absolutely gorgeous from the top up there. And when I got off the bus, I looked, and I had a deja vu moment, I said, I have been here before, but I've never been there before. But I'm looking at this um, remains of Zeus's temple, which has since been completely taken down piece by piece and rebuilt in Germany. And actually, Hitler used it as one of his platforms for some of his speeches. So I go, where did I see this before? And I said, I know. And I went and I got my Bible, and I opened it up, the book of Revelation, and sure enough, here was a picture of what I was looking at. I knew I'd seen it somewhere before. And so from Rome, when they're fleeing, they end up in Pergamos. Uh, their worship consisted in the deification of the emperor. Attalus III, king of Pergamos, 133 BC, was also priest of the ascetic cult and willed his title to the hands of the Romans. Now get the progression. Babylon, Pergamos, now it's making its way on to Rome. I still quoting Frank Boyd here. The title of the Babylonian high priest was Pontifex Maximus or chief bridge builder meaning the one who spans the gap between mortals and Satan and his host. Julius Caesar first assumed this royal priesthood under the Latin title Pontifex Maximus. Uh, 
Thus, divine honors uh, were confirmed upon Roman emperors later assumed by the popes. So everybody follow me on that? Started in Babylon. The priests run away. They end up in Pergamos. And then from there, it ends up in Rome. And the Caesars take the title. Later on, so did the popes. So the popes had an unbelievable amount of authority. Now, um, go to verse 20 to 22 in the same chapter, talking more about um, the religious aspect of our study of Rome this morning. And now we're in the church of Thyatira, which I do believe is speaking of the Roman Catholic Church, and that's a whole Bible study within itself. But speaking to the church of Thyatira, he says in verse 20, uh, first of all, he commends them in verse 19. I know your works, love, service, faith, your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. To Roman Catholics credit, they are responsible for setting up hospitals and orphanages all over the world. And that's commendable. However, he says, nevertheless, you might be doing a lot of good works, but nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and beguile my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Let's just stop here for a second. He's talking about the things that he has against him is that he allows that woman Jezebel. Well, who is she? Well, she was a gal who married King Ahab, remember? She introduced the worship of Baal in Israel. And that's why when um, um, Elijah had the big fight out on Mark Carmel and called fire down, and he said, okay, there's 450 prophets of Baal. Take him down to the, the creek and get rid of him. And Jezebel heard about it. And she says, I'm not going to let this day go by until you guys take out him. But what, how it's applied here, there were things being introduced in Roman Catholicism that is false doctrine. Here it's alluded to as sexual immorality. No, really it's spiritual immorality. But he's liking it too. The damage that was done to the one God of Israel versus what Jezebel introduced with the prophets of Baal. Is everybody with me so far? And to eat things sacrificed to idols. Okay. It says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immoralities or her false doctrines, and she did not repent. All right. Um, In verse, I want to put something up on the screen at this time. And I want to talk to you about what these spiritual immoralities actually are that entered into the church that have nothing to do with biblical Christianity. Okay, guys, if you'll put it up. I'm going to read them. These are 22 Catholic traditions um, that from infant baptism, and I'm not going to read the dates, I'll read the list. Mass, purging sin, prayers for the dead, prayers to Mary, 
worship of images, declaring saints, mandatory mass, celibacy of priests, uh, rosary invented, the Inquisition, indulgences sold. In other words, if you had somebody in purgatory, you could help get them out by lighting candles and uh, placing money. Now, if I believe that for a second, or if you believe that for a second, and you believe that you had a loved one in purgatory, would not you sell your house? Would not you do everything in your power if you believe that for a second? Well, people gave, and as a result, I take that back, the most, um, probably the most magnificent structure in Rome, besides the Colosseum, is St. Peter's Basilica. I've been in it. It is unbelievable. Uh, And that's with the money from indulgences to get people out of purgatory. That's how they built St. Peter's Basilica. Transubstantiation. Now this is something why only a Roman Catholic can be saved. Pope Francis today, who I'm gonna put up in just a second, um, has thrown all that right out the window, okay? But transubstantiation is um, a priest is the only one who can take a wafer and pray over it and make it the physical body of Christ. And that's why you have to be Roman Catholic because he's the only one who can do it. And that's why they're called the only holy Roman Catholic Church. So that's called transubstantiation, uh, confessing to priests, um, I'll have, I'll have my office open after the study this morning if anybody wants to come. And, and uh, Actually, Paul Mull's no longer amongst us. He's living out in Montana right now. But he actually did what I just said. He had just gotten saved, and so he's gonna come and confess all of his sins to me. And after 20 minutes listening to the guy, I said, are you, are you done now? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, this is what you do. Um, you start attending Mem's prayer on Saturday morning and don't quit and open up your Bible and start reading it. And he looked at me and said, you're not gonna forgive me of my sins? <laughs> Paul, if you're watching, you know it's true. And even if it's not, what are you gonna do about it? You're way out there. Purgatory, reading the Bible, forbidden. Well, guess which Catholic priest decided he wanted to read the Bible? Martin Luther, 500 years ago. They call it the Reformation. And the 95 theses that were put on a Wittenberg door saying, this isn't biblical, this isn't biblical, this isn't biblical, this isn't biblical. And as a result, it started the Reformation. Tradition given authority. Adding books to the Bible. Mary born without sin. Popes are infallible. Mary can save you, Mary's body never decomposed. None of those things are true, nor are they biblical. So Roman Catholicism into uh, these traditions is what is meant here by spiritual immorality. And they can actually keep a person from being saved. Okay, now what I'm gonna read next says, I gave them time to repent of her sexual immorality and they didn't do it. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and to those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. 
unless they repent of their deeds. Of the four of the seven churches that we're speaking of here, there's a phrase that goes something like this. Do this until I come. Meaning that these four churches, uh, which I believe to be dead Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, the Church of Philadelphia, which is the good church, and the Church of Laodicea. I see all four of those in existence today. And what he's saying here, either repent of these things or I'm gonna put you into great tribulation. What's that mean? It means that if you're basing your salvation on these traditions of men, you are not born again. And the Bible says you must be born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born as a spirit is spirit. Don't marvel, you must be born again. If you're not born again, when the Lord comes at the rapture, you're staying here. That's as simple as it is. And that's believe what I believe is being said right there. Now let me contrast this and just look over at chapter three, uh, verse uh, seven through 11, and we'll talk about the church of Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These things says he who is holy, who is true, he who has the king, uh, keys of David, he opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have little strength. You have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lied. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Now, verse 10. And because you've kept my commandment to preserve, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world. Well, what hour of trial could engulf the entire world It's called the great tribulation. And what's he saying is, I'm gonna keep you from it. Question is, how is he gonna keep you from it? Well, he's gonna take you out before it begins. So I wanna contrast the church of Philadelphia with the church of Thyatira, where one says, unless you repent, you're going through it. And to the other one, he says, "Uh, because you've kept my word to persevere, um, um, I'm gonna keep you from that hour of trial. And then he says, behold, I come quickly. And as far as I'm concerned, not quick enough. Hold fast what you have that no one take your crown. In other words, be strong, hang in there. Thyatira will go through the tribulation. I personally believe, and I'm gonna put a picture of Pope Francis up on the screen right now. And this is the title of it right here. Pope Francis assures atheists, you don't have to believe in God to go to heaven. He is a globalist, he is a globalist, but he's also a universalist. Well, Dwight, what's a universalist? A universalist is, is something wrong with that picture or what? Oh, the copy's terrible? Oh, it's too bad. Well, it certainly is. (laughs) One billion Catholics in the world today. And um, they've been, uh, remember, his word is infallible. A universalist, for those of you who are hearing it for the first time, is everybody goes to heaven. And um, 
Basically, that's what he's saying. For that reason, I believe he's a prime candidate so that when the rapture happens, he's still around. And we know for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, there will be a one world religion. Now, gang, I can see this happening right now. I can see this guy saying things like this, and I keep saying to myself, just how late is it anyway? Uh, it's so late, I do believe that this pope could be the same one that joins hands with the Antichrist. I believe the stage is set for globalism. That's what's really taking place right now, by the way. And it's a worldwide event that are, have people scared out of their wits. And um, um, when the Lord does take the church out, I believe it's all set up and ready for the Pope to take the religious part. We, we know, because I'm gonna take you Revelation 17, that the headquarters for the world religion is going to be in Rome. And I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna prove that to you biblically in just a moment here. Um, and that will last for three and a half years. Allow me to get a little sidetracked with a personal story. Um, it happened to me in 2006 in um, India. And I've, uh, first, my first trip to India was in 1986. And I've been pretty much in every um, state in India. And in this particular trip, uh, I was teaching in the state of Karnataka on um, a town called Mangalore. And I, was, uh, I, w- I would go to a place, stay there for a week, and teach inductive Bible study. And then I'd go somewhere else and I'd teach, teach a week there and I did that for many, many years. Well, you know, the Brits introduced um, four o'clock tea time. <laughs> and if you go to India and it's four o'clock, well, it's tea time. So I'm having my tea and I'm reading, um, having the guys interpret a story. And I'm gonna put this picture up on a screen and I'm reading this event that's going to take place in Bangalore. Now, Bangalore is the fifth largest city in India. You have Bombay, Madras, Delhi, Hyderabad, and then somewhere in there is Bangalore, different from Mangalore, where I was. And I'm just going to read here. It says, His Holiness, Sire Ravi Shankar. Stop, Beatle fans, it's not the same one. This is the guru's guru in India. And at this particular event, when I began to read it, I couldn't believe it. It said, led over three million people through meditation for global peace and harmony in Bangalore, India. The largest gathering of its kind saw borders and divisions dissolved as people from 150 countries meditated people from diverse social strata and backgrounds celebrate the vision and mission of the organization which has been engaged and dedicated service in its inception. Um, Suravi Rangshar brought together 1,000 leaders from 10 major regions. Oh, that's interesting. 10 major regions. 
of the world as well as 750 key political figures from across the globe and urged all to embrace nonviolence, brotherhood, and human values. Prince Philip was there at the time. He's dead now, but it's been taken over by Prince Charles. Everybody know what the WWF is? Somebody's thinking it's the World Wrestling Federation, aren't you? That's what you're thinking. No, it's not. And uh, it, it's the World Wide Life Fund. Basically, it's a Greenpeace sort of movement. This takes place every year somewhere in the world. But this year, as I'm sitting here in Mangalore, I'm thinking, I want to go to this thing. And I want to see what it's like with three million people. And um, they had singers. I'll continue the last um, paragraph here. Diverse culture programs from different parts of the world were presented. For the first time in the history of Indian music, a gathering of more than 3,800 musicians. Can you see the stage? I was told there was 5,000 that are up on that stage. In the middle of it is a throne. And this is where Ravi Shankar sat and just listened as world speakers from around the world, including Prince Philip and Bill Clinton, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And I'm thinking, I called, I talked to the pastor of the church in Mangalore, and I said, I want to go to this thing. And he said, well, well, there's a Calvary Chapel in Mangalore, I'll just call them, you got the weekend off, and they'll come pick you up. So... The problem was, uh, you, in order to get up so you could actually see, you had to pay $75 and have a special pass. Now, I have a sin to confess. <laughs> I saw a bunch of, you know, Indians look like Indians, but there was a Swedish group there, and there was about a couple hundred of them, and I sort of made my way into the middle because they had the passes. And I sort of kind of got these guys around me and da 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 and then I was. So I'm actually sitting maybe 50 feet from, from the stage, and I had a, a great view of this. But what summed the whole evening up and the purpose for this thing happening is to bring about a one-world family, together in love, friendship, and attitude of selfless service. And it's a pretty strange event when you hear three million people oming all at the same time. It has a pretty powerful effect. And um, I could tell another story, but I'm not going to for sake of time because I had another divine appointment just like this one one year later in Kathmandu because we had Bible schools up there too in in Nepal. And they took me to this event. They said, we're going to take you to this 800-year-old Buddhist city. It's a tourist trap. And when we got there, I was closed down. Why was it closed down? Because this was taking place. And uh, so every year they have it somewhere else. It just happened that I happened to hit the jackpot two years in a row. All right, why do you bring this up, Dwight? Because our world is clamoring for world peace. And uh, this is just one of the events, all right? I have to fast forward to the future now of Rome Go with me to Revelation chapter 17. We've talked about the past, we talked about the present, and now I want to talk about the future of Rome. 
uh, Revelation 17. And I'm just going to read this and let it speak for itself. And as I do, I'm going to ask them to put the picture of the woman who rides the beast up. There she is. Okay. Verse one. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. The many waters is a picture of... um, the one world religion and the Roman Catholic Church is on every continent of the world today. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Again, um, we're te- speaking um, figuratively here as far as doctrine goes. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast with dames full of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Um, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was a name that was written, Mystery Babylon. Remember? Babylon, Pergamos, Rome. Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. Seven of the ten world leaders that will be involved with the Antichrist, three of them either pick up what's going on and he has to overthrow them. So we find here, um, John sees this And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Why would John be so blown away by all this? Because this is the church. And what was it noted for? The martyrdom of millions of Christians. And this is exactly what happened in Rome. And now she's being represented this way drunk with the blood of the martyrs of of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great marvelment. Um, Verses seven through 18, I'm just gonna read it and quickly come back and comment for sake of time. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast. The beast that she's riding um, is, of course, the Antichrist, one world government, one world religion. And of the seven heads and the 10 horns. The beast that you saw that was and is not will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is, hold your figure there, turn your page back to Revelation 13 verse five where it says, Pick it up in verse four. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who's like the beast who's able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things. Well, that's what we read back in Daniel. And blasphemy, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Let me say at this time that as we read chapter 17, it's only going back and give us information 
that happened in chapter 13. In other words, this is not chronological. 17 is just adding detail to what we're reading here. So we read here uh, where it says this beast that was and is not and yet is. Well, he died. He was. He was alive. Then he was not. That means he died. And then he is. And he comes back to life and it says, all the world wondered and said, who could fight against this guy? So let's keep reading. Um, well, let's go down to verse 12. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but will receive authority with one hour as king with the beast. Well, this goes back to Daniel 7. They are of one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. This is the second coming. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. In other words, one world religion worldwide. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast will hate the harlot. Okay, what has Satan always wanted? And that was to be worshipped. That's the one thing he's always wanted. And for the first three and a half years, we have a one world religion. And he wants all the worship. Therefore, Rome's got to go. This other one world religion has got to go. Um, The ten horns are the same ten horns of Daniel 7.7. These ten kings will reign with the Antichrist, but will be subservient to him. They willingly or unwillingly give over their authority to the Antichrist and becomes his puppet. All right, let's finish it out. Verse um, 16. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast will hate the harlot, or the one world religion, and make her desolate, naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind until they give the kingdom to the beast, until the word of God is fulfilled. Now verse 18 is important. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reign over the kings of the earth. This was written in 96 AD. John is alive. He's writing it. Who ruled over the earth during John's time? Rome. So, past, present, and future. Um, He knows that he has three and a half years left to accomplish what he wants to. The Antichrist will destroy Rome, and he alone will be the one who is worshipped. Rome is destroyed at the beginning of the last three and a half years because we know that's how much time the Antichrist has. In closing, I want you to take your bulletins out, please. Some of you who have been around for a while are very familiar with what I just taught this morning. Some of you newer to the church or maybe watching online, um, this is all new stuff for you. The reason I'm asking you to take this out is I want you to take out our 
Bible uh, Prophecy Conference. And in, and in closing, what did I say, Bible Prophecy Conference? It's not in the bulletins? Are they in the back, guys? Yeah, they're in the back. You can pick one up on the way back. Yeah, if you don't have one with you now, you're not saved, and so you better get one. <laughs> Well, we have quite a, quite a lineup. Elijah Abraham, Jim Fletcher, Russ Miller, Andy Woods, J.D. Farag, we're going to bring him in, from, uh, video in from Hawaii, T.A. McMahon, Chris Quintana. And um, I was talking to J.D. and I said, you know, things are happening so quick, so fast, I don't even know if we're going to have a prophecy conference this year. And he says, you know what, Dwight? You and I both know there's things that we can't say from the pulpit but I agree with you. And so having said that, and the reason I want to close with this, I want, because you're aware of these things now, we all have family and friends that don't have a clue. And they don't know what's coming down. They don't see the big picture of a a coming one world religion or a one world government. Add to this list Jay Siegert. Um, I was talking to Russ Miller and uh, I said, when's the last time you saw Jay? And he says, well, I'm seeing him on Thursday because we're going to take a grand staircase tour together. That would have been this last Thursday. And I thought about it more and more, and I thought, well, this is probably the last one. Well, let's make it a party, you know. So I called up Jay and said, what are you doing? And he do you want to come up? He said, I'd love to. Checked his schedule. So add Jay to the list. And I thought, how could we not bring up Dr. Tommy Ice? with that too. So I called up Tommy. And I said, Tommy, how would you like, this probably will be our last one. You and Janice want to be a part of it? He says, you bet. So when you pick these things up, add this to uh, the list of speakers who are going to be here. And I want to close this Bible study. Um, You know how Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Um, I beseech you therefore, brethren. That is late. And the speakers that are coming are some of the finest Bible teachers in the world. And take advantage of it. Um, Talk to your friends and say, will you do this just for me? You know, even if you're not into it or you don't want to hear it, would you do it just because of your family and we're friends? Take a day off and come and take it in and get a different perspective of what's really happening in our world today. Can I leave it with that? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, how grateful we are for your word. Everything we talked about not only is going to take place, but it has to take place because you said every word of this book will be fulfilled. And as we consider Rome, its past, its present, and how it's going to be once again a major world empire overseeing the revived Roman Empire, these 10 toes um, representing these 10 kings and nations. And um, we're just grateful that you've told us these things ahead of time. As you said to your disciples, I have told you these things ahead of time so that when they happen, that you might believe that I am he. 
So, Lord, um, go before us this week. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.